Today we're joined by Armin Conan. Armin is head of the condominium law department at Shibley Wrighton. He's also on the board of directors of the Condominium Authority of Ontario. And that's exactly what we're talking about in today's episode. We cover the Condominium Act 1998. And if you listen to previous episodes, you'll know that the Condominium Act 1998 is the piece of legislation that governs condominium living here in Ontario. Armand talks about how the Condominium Act 1998 governs condominiums. Armand also talks about the impetus that sparked the need for reform to the Condominium Act, the formation of the Condominium Authority of Ontario, and the various responsibilities that it is tasked with. It sounds very complicated, and it is. The entire condominium industry is being faced with the challenge of adapting to this new legislation. Armand explains what that process is all about. Welcome to another exciting episode of We Speak Condo. Actually, we're in our new studio here, surrounded by glass, so I'm uh, feeling a little bit like a goldfish. Uh, today's episode is exciting, as they all are. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the CAO, the Condominium Authority of Ontario, the CMRAO, which I'll explain to you what that is later, because I don't remember. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and the CAT, but I will let our guest get uh, get more into that. Uh, we have a very, very special guest that I am very honored to have here, uh, Mr. Armin Conan. Mr. Armin Conan is the head of condo litigation at Shibley Wrighton. Not condo litigation, the whole condo department. The whole condo department. See, I, I, I sit corrected here, Nicholas. Armand is the head of the entire condominium department at Shibley Wrighton. He's been practicing condo law for 27 years. Uh, he will tell you a little bit about his career. But on the personal side, uh, I've had the pleasure of spending uh, uh, stretches of time with Armand. We've sat for uh, four or five hours at a time at a golf court attempting to play golf. Uh, let it be said that uh, we are equal in our abilities and both together we don't make one golfer. Uh, our Armand is uh, or was graduated as a uh, an engineer. I don't know if you were ever practiced as an no, engineer. went right to law school. Went right to law school at, from the Royal Military College. Uh, Armand was uh, in the Navy and uh, he is an avid boater. Probably the two go hand in hand, I guess. All right. But uh, Armin, take the opportunity to introduce yourself to our myriad of fans. Well, welcome fans. It's great to be here and it's wonderful to be part of your great broadcasts and podcasts. And we thank you very much. The condo industry needs more of this. So we think you guys are doing a great job and keep it up. It's fabulous. Well, a bit about myself. Uh, as you mentioned, I was an engineer, went to law school, practiced law for a number of years in Toronto and then... After I got married, my wife and I took off to France and we married spent... For 35 years, I'm For sure. 35 there years. There we go. Happy That's years. Happy years. And then we went to Europe where we spent five years in Europe. And I've got a bit of a quirky background in law because I went over to the Sorbonne to do a master's of law and ended up getting a job with a French law don't, firm. Don't most people go to the Sorbonne to learn how to be a chef? Uh, usually the chef or speak French or uh, find a partner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. In my case, I made a dumb mistake. I decided to practice law and oh, study law. There you go. And so we did that, and then uh, when my wife went over to England to do a master's of uh, biochemistry, I went over to join her and quit law for a while. Oh, totally that's got out of law. true love. True love. True and, love. And then the question was, what do I do? 
And so I sold sailboats. So for two and a half years... Your I, passion. My passion. I, we got the European rights to a Canadian line of sailboats. And we ran that company out of Southampton or near Southampton for two and a half years. And then came back to Canada. And that's when I got back into law, back into the condo law, and carried on from a variety of firms now at Shibley Wrighton for the last seven years. Wow. And, and uh, you still get to practice the fine art of sailing. As much as I can and as often as I can. We love it. In fact, we're sailing last weekend. Uh, so if, if I said to you, jibe ho, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. I duck. <laughs> I know to duck. <laughs> you just duck. Um, so you are, were very, very instrumental, or are still to this day, uh, in uh, the setting up and the running of the CAO. Yes. Perhaps we can expand and just tell us a, a quick little snippet of the CAO, CMRAO, and the CAT. Sure, we do that. Why don't I go back, maybe even go one step before that. Let's and, talk about the act. And talk about how the reform process happened. I've been involved with CCI, Canadian Condominium Institute, on their board since 2002. Right. And, in two, and the current act was uh, brought into force on May 5th of 2001. So by 2003 and 2004, we in the industry realized it needed work, even though it was brand new. So from 2004, I was head of the legislative committee, and it was a joint committee with ACMO, Association of Condominium Managers of Ontario, and CCI, Canadian Condominium Institute of Toronto, to start the process. And it took us about 10 years, or about eight years, of constantly going to the government, we put together a 120-page brief on improvements to the Act. And then finally, in 2012, the government announced form a formal process of reforming the Condo Act. That's when they announced that part of that will be the licensing of condo managers and then some other steps. What do you think, if, if I may interject, because it is my show, um, <laughs> what do you think was the impetus that helps the government make that decision to do something about it. What were the events in the market, in, 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 in commonplace? Was there a, um, a tipping point that, that caused that to happen? I think there were two tipping points. Because remember, the two big points that came in were the licensing of managers and then the reforms to the Act. I think over the years, people were starting to go to the government, people, I mean owners, directors, stakeholders, professionals like lawyers, engineers saying, we have problems because the condo industry grew. The number of condo corporations grew so exponentially that by 2012, that we had so many new condo units. By then, we were probably six to 700,000 residential condo units in Ontario. Now we have over 800,000. Wow. So I think that's one impetus. The tipping point was this phenomenal growth in the previous 10 years for the condo reform, because you got to remember one thing. The Condo Act, by definition, is consumer protection legislation. Correct, yes. It's not commercial legislation. It's it's for consumer protection. And I'm sure there were events that preceded the regulations that really questioned how well it was protecting the consumer. And that's right. And that was on both the developer disclosure for brand-new buyers for brand-new buildings, but also things like how buildings, how corporations were being run, or we call it governance. Sure. We would have a lot of complaints about boards of directors. Boards of directors would have a lot of complaints about rogue owners doing things. So sure. that on the Condo Act was probably the tipping point. Critical mass and enough complaints about problems in the industry. 
Separately is the licensing of managers. The real well, point, there were some issues with management and, as well because of some fraudulent. And acts. that's there was the tip, and it was in eleven that the fraudulent stuff happened. And two thousand and twelve, the government announced the licensing of managers. So those were the two key events, which then they started the reform process officially in late two thousand and twelve. So what happened after that? Then all the different stakeholders, and I was on. Uh, just about every committee, uh, government committee, stakeholder committee, to deal with the government, to get through these ideas. Take the CCI and ACMO legislative brief, all the other ideas, and really the government started in late 2012 with a series of meetings. They called it going from the 30,000-foot level of analyzing the big problems, eventually right into the weeds of what is the drafting of what is the resolution. Right. And in that process, we had... I don't know how many hundreds of hours of meetings with different people from every part of the condo industry. That's owners, directors, stakeholders, engineers, lawyers. There were, if I remember, management. there were announcements calling for, Absolutely. for, for meetings, and, and you've had meetings all over the province, I take it. All over the province, in every corner, and, and in every part of the condo industry. In those meetings, let me ask you then. Was the fraudulent acts that happened, was, were those raised? Were, were those concerns that people knew about those? Uh, no, uh, they weren't raised, but for two reasons. A lot of people did not know of them, right. even though it was pretty substantial and it didn't make the news at the time, but they weren't known throughout the industry. What, for example, what was, the I guess, the major number one issue or the number one? The major one was going to be how can we as owners hold our managers to a professional level now, remember, you're usually talking about a vocal minority. The vast majority of the industry, you have caring, fantastic managers. Absolutely. You always have a rogue, like there's always some rogue lawyers. There's rogue engineers. There's rogue, rogue in every industry. But you get the vocal minority of people who are angry, so they're saying, we got to have a system. But from what I saw going around, we weren't focusing so much on the licensing of managers. It was the Condo Act reform. And there the issue was more of communication, and the boards, the rogue boards, or alleged rogue boards, who were spending money without authority and not telling us and not communicating and springing stuff on us, that's what really was getting to the owners. It was some of the specialized stakeholder groups would, would get into the more nuanced pieces, such as disclosure statements and buying from a developer. But my feeling was the biggest thing was we need a faster and better way to deal with disputes Thus, it ended up with There's the tribunal. There's disputes in condos? I don't know. I've heard about them. I haven't oh, seen Oh, come them. on. Particularly one of those incidents, uh, those fraudulent acts, whether it's conducted by boards or management, that was impetus to, uh, to at least a part of, uh, of the, um, uh, the ignition to set this new legislation on fire. Absolutely right. Uh, for example, uh, channel management was one, if you recall that. Maybe you can go over for our listeners a little detail of what happened and 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 how that was. It was actually probably a um, a, a really uh, well noted case that really sparked that. It was talked about throughout the industry. We know, yes. but it was really one that that highlighted, I guess, the need for this protection. That particularly the licensing. Even though the funny thing with the licensing of managers, which was long overdue, is you never stop theft just because you're licensed. Oh, a lawyer's license, but there's a lot more checks and balances. There's better requirements for the standard for which you get your license to be a manager. Because one thing we find in the industry is managers have already already been professional, but they've never been recognized as being professional. 
Yes. And yeah. so the, one of the big things I find with the licensing was to f- say there's a great group out there called managers. Thank you. They work hard. We appreciate it. And, and I'm not being paid for this. And uh, But finally, when they're being licensed, it gives them a, a value of recognition that it now becomes a profession. And so that's one thing the government was interested in. But the channel property management was the big one. And what happened was there was a management company, channel property management. The, uh, the principal was called Mansur Khan. And over a period of about three years, he ended up uh, getting about $20 million from seven different condo corporations. And it, it, de- it dealt I with... I assume when you say getting, you mean stealing. I, stealing, absolutely. Okay. And he was charged, but he fled the country mm-hmm. and never stood trial and is sitting in a country that does not have extradition treaty with Canada. So what happened was through identity theft, meaning pretending to be directors, passing a borrowing bylaw, because in all of these, they borrowed money to do major projects. Turns out later, the board didn't even know of the project because there wasn't one. Mm -hmm. They never signed a borrowing bylaw. There was never any owner's meeting to approve the borrowing bylaw, nor the banking documents, right to the point of identity theft of law firms to give legal opinions. Because in a normal borrowing transaction, the borrower's lawyer must give an opinion, blah, 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 and all that. So it was very, very intricate. I mean, that... So these were special assessment uh, projects throughout... Borrowing, mainly borrowing, not special assessment. What they would do is that they would say, we're going to do a lobby refurbishment. Remember, the board doesn't know about this. Correct. The manager does. The manager then goes to a bank and went to a different bank than the regular bank the corporation used. So they weren't, so they came in wanting to open up a brand new account, pretending to be the directors, forging their signatures and their identity, how he got their identity, I don't know, or fabricated it, and would open up a bank account. Well, to borrow money, you got to have a borrowing bylaw. Sure. So then he would forge signatures, even forge comments about owners' meetings, and thus the bylaw would be registered on title for the bank get the money, and then would incorporate his own companies that was allegedly doing the work. So some work was done. Most of the times, there was never any work done, and it totaled about $20 million. And checks were issued to those companies. That's off how that, they got the off that a bank account, which the corporation had no idea. No idea. In fact, and they were totally Auditors those never company. knew. Nobody nope, knew. It was nothing. totally off the books. Wow. And, and so they got away. He got on the flight the day that the police were going to come and get him. And I guess this was... was um, one of the things that sparked us making sure that we have borrowing bylaws exactly. in place because they're, they're, they weren't in place before. No, they? no, they were at the time. Okay. But that was the point that he forged everything. Um, so there was a bylaw registered on title and how it all came to be, how it was one, finally uncovered. Mm-hmm. A purchaser's lawyer did his duty, did his duty and searched title for his client, found a bylaw, compared it with the status certificate. Status certificate did not mention the bylaw because nobody knew about it. So the lawyer finally said to his client, can you ask the manager, happened to be Mansur Khan as the manager, why we see a borrowing bylaw, but it's not in the status certificate. That's what started it. And so the client, the unit owner, the seller, contacted actually the president of the condo corp, who then innocently thought, oh, it was just a mistake, somebody's misunderstood something, contacted the manager. That day he got on a plane and had left Canada. Wow. And With twenty says, million dollars, and who says property management isn't exciting? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to be waiting for the for the movie to come out. I think I'll be seeing it on Netflix in the with the next the next six months. It's an interesting one. So that was really what got going on the licensing of managers, and then the rest of it is the reform to the Condo Act. Talk about the Condo Act and what it does, how it affects 
uh, those people who are listening are condo owners because they're they're mostly not aware of it. You know, you yep. live in your condo. You really, for the most part, unless you've had experience on the board of directors or or there's been direct issues that you need to deal with management and or the board, most people really aren't aware there is a condo act. Well, and, and are you, you raise a really good point. Not only are most owners not aware of the condo act, they, they also aren't even really aware of what a condo really is. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest problems in the industry, and I sit on a national committee right across Canada for CCI, every province has exactly the same problem. People don't know what condos are. Board of directors often don't. They don't really they understand. They basically it, think it's a house. They think it's a house. It's my castle. I can do whatever I want. How dare you tell me that I can't have Fluffy the dog or how tell, dare you tell me I can't put an extra room in my unit? The usual question is rules with a question mark. That's right. What rules? That's right. Absolutely right. So then what, what we do and, and what the Condominium Authority of Ontario, which we'll talk about later, is doing is putting out educational pieces, literature, for that very reason, to the public. We're talking owners, not directors and, and lawyers. This is for the public. What is a condo? The people who listen to this podcast. That's right. So we we cater to condo owners. That's right. We cater to people who are going to be buying their first condo and people who are selling their condos. Absolutely. Because right. everybody's affected by that, not just the traditional managers and boards. Exactly. Right. And so with that, that's exactly right. And so what they have to do is find out more about it. Because what we find is, as you mentioned earlier, people think it's their home and their castle. And that's right. There's a great quality of living in condos, but with it comes restrictions and obligations. And those are the two things people don't know about. So on uh, the literature, in the educational pieces, they talk about what governs condos. What is a condo? What's the top of the pyramid? The act. It goes to your question. And what I explain to people is think of it as a pyramid with the most important thing at the top and the one at the bottom, which has very more limited use. We're talking, I guess, about, let's use the, the broad spectrum, the way you live in a condo. Or it, what governs it, you in a condo. What governs you, yes. The rules, regulations. And, uh, because, and that's right. Because we understand that there are different names for the different rules and regulations throughout. But you are governed by the way you can act of what you can and cannot do. Precisely. In a condominium. And, as well, what the condominium corporation can or cannot do. Exactly. That affects you. Precisely. Both ways. So this act that governs the way you behave uh, inherently and the way the corporation behaves was initially brought in as consumer protection? Yes, always from the beginning. The first legislation was in the 70s because the first condos in Ontario started in the 1960s. And from the very beginning... They're one of only nine statutes in Ontario that are defined, actually defined to be consumer protection. So what the Condo Act does... Should it, I test you on what are the other eight? No, no, you've got me on that. <laughs> they didn't teach you that at the Sorbonne, did no, they? No, I missed that one. I missed that class. But it, it, it's, it's the statute is the Bible. It's what starts. So I always explain to people, think of it as at the top. Everything must be compliant with the Act, including owners, how you live and what you do. But that doesn't have enough details of your day-to-day living. Then underneath it, is your declaration. Underneath that, your bylaws, and underneath that, the rules. And those are the things we keep pushing owners. Read them. We they hear don't read from them. time to time people talking about the board made a resolution. Right. Where does that fall in there? Is there a bylaw, declaration, resolution, rules? Re- like No. Uh, yeah, I think where people are confusing is the difference between a decision being made by the board to do something. 
right. to sign a contract, engage a landscaper, uh, spend some money. A board makes a decision. That's a resolution. Think of a condo corporation, just like the word says. It is a corporation. It's a it business. Is, it's a, it's well, 100% it's a, business. Like any company in Ontario. Sure. And depending it, on the size of the budget and the common element fees, it could be anywhere from a million to two million or three million dollars in sales. That's their mm -hmm. income. So that's, and they have to use that money to run the business. And that's right. They have to raise revenue and they get that through your monthly common element fees. So in the structure, when you're asking about what a resolution is, any company, it, decisions are made by, the company is run by the board. How does a board make a decision at a board meeting or in writing is called a resolution. Right. Be it resolved, we're going to hire, you know, XYZ now, landscaping. Not every decision the board makes requires no. a statement or a document. Of not at all. Kind. No, because right. a lot of the day-to-day -day decisions inside a corporation are delegated to management. Right. But the bigger decisions, the uh, getting quotes on a contract, a CO tender bid, a decision to change the the lawyer, to change the engineer, those would be things that would require a resolution. So that's a resolution. They, they affect the owners, but they're not the deck bylaws and rules. And there's a question out there to our listeners, and if you send in the answer, you may win a prize, is... Can the board make a resolution to change the auditor? Mm -hmm. Now we'll uh, continue with our show. So what we did was the huge number of meetings, subcommittees, committees got all together and finally came up with recommendations to the government for the reforms. This culminated in a report called the Expert Report or Stage 3 Report. We call it the Expert Report. There were 11 of us that were on it. I was on it. Were, were you there at the moment where the government said, this is important enough for us to listen to because predominantly they just had closed ears, closed eyes, saying, yeah. this isn't necessary. Let us go about our business. But then I think somewhere down the road, somebody realized is, well, in Ontario, particularly in Toronto, that's a million plus voters. Yeah. These guys are going to vote for us. They're, so what? where was that moment where they finally said, okay, we'll listen? Uh, I think it was a culmination of those two pivotal points we talked about and our stakeholder groups constantly meeting with Badgering. the minister. Badgering. Badgering. Let's use the word badger. And I we like did. that, yes. Because I can tell you earlier, we were very close to being at the front of the stove, on the front burner of the stove for condo reform. And actually what stopped it, I don't know if you remember, there was the propane explosions. I forget, it was a place near the airport where there was a massive explosion and the government stopped everything to pass new regulations for propane. And they told us Condo Act reform was then off the stove. So then we had a fight to get it back on. So I think it was in 11 and 12, the things we've talked about, plus the growth, and us reminding them that there were a million voters that finally, in 11 and 12, they decided to formally start the process. Perfect. Then on that process, ended up with that report, ended up with a draft act, which we all beat up, Standing committees, all the normal procedure That's for the, passing. You talk the stakeholders like ACMO, CCI. CI, it could be engineers, it could be owners groups. Auditors groups. Auditors groups. Everything, everybody was there because the reforms covered every aspect of condos. It was right. financial aspects, engineering aspects, legal aspects, governance aspects, disclosure, developer issues. A lot of developers management were at the time. companies. I know management. At, the at the time, the management yep. company I was working for, we, we were always encouraged to get involved. Very much. Because it is our profession. It is our career. So It's right. And it's our industry that we're proud of. Very much so. So we go with that to the point where then they finally passed the legislation in the fall of 15, 2015. And what happens with legislation, it gets 
first reading, second reading, third reading, and then royal assent. That's where we are today for the vast majority of the reforms. December 3, 2015, the act, it was called the Protecting Condominium Owners Act, 2015, got royal assent. In that act had two parts, the huge reforms to the Condo Act. So so were they reform the amendments to? To the amendment. And that's important. I'm glad you raised that. The amendments to the Condo Act 1998. Right. Yeah. And that's important because a lot of people ask me, well, we have a new act. The new act says. What no. does the new act right. says? Is no new act. The act that everybody will have today is Condominium Act 1998, but it's being as amended. Right. The other part of PACOA, which is the Protecting Condominium Owners Act, was the legislation for the licensing of managers. Which gave birth to the CMRAO. Correct. Okay. And that's what started it. So then, before it can become law, because nothing becomes law until legislation is proclaimed. So what the government did, they immediately in 2016 started drafting the regulations. Because what they decided to do this time is put less in the legislation and more detail in the regulations for a very specific reason. It's easier to amend regulations five and ten years from because now than things it is change. Things, things change. Things change. Right. For, for example, and if you listen to our previous episode, as uh, and I don't know if it's October or not yet, but in Ontario, as of October 17th, the consumption of marijuana will be legal. Right. That will now be change. That's a change that could affect condominiums. Absolutely. So, it's much easier, as you said, to change regulations as it is to change the act. And why? Because regulations are amended by cabinet, whereas legislation requires the Queen's Park and all parties to vote and debate, so it's much easier. And that's what they wanted to do. But there was a problem. The regulations took a lot more work than they thought. They're a lot more complicated than anticipated. And here we are now in the middle of 2018, and only phase one or one part of all the reforms have been proclaimed. And Which, that's governance. And that's governance. And that's what led to the CAO, Condominium Authority of Ontario, and led to the CMRAO for the licensing of managers. The Condominium Management Regulatory Authority, Authority of, of Ontario. Ontario. Okay, so now we've got these two. Uh, these two organizations have been uh, created. Yes. CAO, CMRAO. Um, a part of the CAO is the CAT. Correct. Yes. And that is, if you want to explain to what our re readers what that is, that is the Condominium Authority Tribunal. Tribunal, exactly right. Right. So uh, as part of the consumer protection, um, I think it was brought to light that um, the process for dispute resolution was getting lengthy and expensive for individual condominium owners, boards, corporations, the process to go through. So the idea is we're going to help reduce costs and speed up dispute resolution, yes? That's exactly what they wanted to do. See, what if you go back into the 2001 when the two, Condominium Act 1998 came in, for the first time they introduced compulsory mediation and arbitration. And you look at it in Section 132 of the Act. And it was great. Everybody thought that was going to be the panacea because our courts were backlogged. Well, it didn't work. It worked a bit, but didn't completely work. So now fast forward 17 years, and the government said, we've got to find a way, I call it jokingly, cheaper, faster, better to deal with disputes. Well, there's two ways that the government approached this. One was, how do we stop having disputes in the first place? 
The second half is how do you deal with them when they are a dispute? Okay. So to try to resolve the first part of that is that the reforms to the act, their belief, which is right, if we get better clarity and certainty in what governs us, so we all understand it better. So those people who now moved into condos don't just have the I'm living in my house in the sky idea is I am now a vital member of a community and I have things that are uh, uh, govern me and I have to uh, responsibilities. Absolutely that I right. And hopefully in a drafted in a way that's easier to read and easier to understand. Because we all know legislation and declarations can be hard to understand. They're drafted by lawyers and people. And for the average Who person... Who charge fees for all that. Yes, uh, well, we, and we hope to. <laughs> and uh, But it's hard to understand. So the government said, let's get clarity and certainty. I mean, I'll give you an example. There was never a definition of, of a good definition of what's a corporate record. There's never been a definition of what's adequate for your reserve fund. So there's missing. And so you're left to lawyers fighting, parties fighting, going to court. Words like reasonable. And the word reasonable is... Or adequate. Somebody once tried to count the number of times reasonable was used in the act, and I think their calculator broke down. (laughs) It it was crazy. So, So the government said, let's... And the way I've always described it over the last number of years was, think of the tribunal as the emergency room of a hospital. So once you get in there, how do we get you through cheaper, faster, better? It's triage. And that's like triage. Think of it as triage. But a more important part, frankly, is how do we reduce the number of people who go into the emergency room? Right. And that's the clarity. That's the certainty. That's the, if you go to the CAO, there's these guided pathways that will help you through issues and topics to try to minimize the number of people who go into that room. So step one, I think, from my perspective, and, and maybe you can tell me, and I don't know if it's a biased perspective or not, the number one priority of the CAO is to get the word out about the CAO. Mm-hmm. Yes and no. Good lawyer's answer. We get paid to give yes and no answers. Yeah. The answer is yes to get the word out about the CAO, but more importantly, not just about the CAO, but with that, provide a lot of information and knowledge to the public. Well, if they don't know you exist, then they don't know that that information oh, is sorry. there for them. You're right about that, but we're also looking at publishing stuff and disseminating stuff out too. But you're right, absolutely yeah. right. With the CAO has a huge wealth you, of information. You're telling me there's a bunch of stuff on the website. On the website. Tremendous. But if I don't even know the website exists, I can't get to that stuff. You're absolutely right. The, so what steps are the CAO taking to resolve that first issue of getting them to be what I call, uh, it's called TOMA. I call it TOMA, top of mind awareness. Mm -hmm. So when somebody's sitting in their condo and they go, ah, fracka, 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 management board, uh, landscaper, radda, fracka, fracka, noise, garbage, whatever it is, neighbor, they automatically think their top of mind awareness will say, CAO, I got to go to the website and see what steps I can now do. Because that's not happening. That has been, I guess, the bane to, to, to management's existence for a long time is they want to either take things into their own hands or they want to dispute it with with other types of litigation or whatever it is so cheaper faster better how do what is cao doing to create that awareness well it's a very good question but and a big issue for any organization and the cao has been trying a multifaceted way such as advertising attending condo conferences with booths literature that they mailed out. They have 
a, an email database is quite significant of individuals, not just condo corporations. Well, there's a registry, right? Well, that, but that's you're, the registry is there that will give you the condo corporation management and the directors, right. but not the general public. Okay. But that registry is open to anybody, and it's free. Right. But like your point is people still have to know it exists. And if right. they don't know yes. it, does, it doesn't exist, nobody's going to use it. So the CAO has spent a lot of time trying to figure exactly that. We have communication um, experts helping us to say, how do we get the word out to the 1.6 million people that live in condos? And you're talking from Thunder Bay to Sault Ste. Marie to Brockville. Mm-hmm. What do we do? How do we do it? And so they've done it many ways. There's radio. They've been on TV. There's print. Uh, they try uh, Social media is big where the CAO wanted to try to enter this world in the modern age with social media. And whether it's Twitter, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, Instagram. I, think, I think we're on Instagram, all these things. Think, yeah. We've got to get our, our word out, but it is a challenge. So that behooves me to ask the next question. That's an expensive ticket. It is. Who pays for it? Well, that is built into the legislation and what the government said. And this is another reason why the CAO is now and didn't happen 20 years ago. Because people don't realize in the 1978 version of the act, there actually was a provision for a bureau like we have today. And the government, it was two sections of the act that the government did not proclaim back then. Why? There weren't enough condo units to pay for it. Because mm-hmm. the government said, we won't pay for this body, this bureau, this office. Fast forward to today, with all these 11,000 condo corporations, now they have the money. So who pays for it? The unit owners. You and guys the, do. The, you, you guys, guys who the are pe- listening. listening. And what the fee is, is $1.00 per month per voting unit, so $12 a year, not your parking or your locker. Those are not included. We're talking about a voting unit, meaning for most of your listeners. Where you live. Where you live, your residential or unit. Or where you're renting it out or whichever. If Correct. you're an owner, a multi-unit owner, whatever, you may have uh, um, 20 units. That's 12 times 20. 20. And who collects that? You're not going to get a bill. The, the CAO is not rendering 800,000 bills once a month. It's a, once a year a bill to the condo corp, and the legislation says the corporation collects the money from the owners like anything else and treats it as a regular expense, just like landscaping, snow removal, hydro. It's just a line item in your budget. And they budget for it, and it should be balanced and by they have to. The, exactly. the, the common element fee. So take a 100-unit condo, $1,200 a year will be a new line item on their budget that they're obligated by law to pay, and they pay it to the CAO. And so this funds uh, the staffing and all, that that's the whole bill. There's no other... None. Are, 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 do they get taxpayers' money? Like No, uh, no. And what's important, and that's a really good point, people are confused about what the CMRAO is and the CAO. They are these weird animals called administrative authorities. They're a bizarre body created... Years ago, the first one was Terion for new home construction. For well, by that time, years. it was called ONWIP, Ontario ONWIP. New Homeowner Warranty Program. Program under the Act. Yeah. And so, and the Act is still called that, but the body that looks after it is called Terion. Right. Well, it was the very first one. What is an AA? People think it's government. It is not government. It's created by government, yes, but it is not, it's arm's length. It has an independent board. It has a job to do, which is to deal with one piece of legislation or an area of your industry and to, to deal with it. Most of them are regulatory authorities 
meaning the licensing of somebody and taking away their license. So what are some examples? Tico for the tourist industry. Rico for the real estate agents. You've got to be a licensed real estate agent. Tico looks after, or Rico looks after you. And Rebo. Rebo. Uh, the one I like to tell everybody, VQA for your wine. <laughs> uh, not that I like wine, but we have a few cases in our basement. But it, it, it's, it, how do you get a VQA on your label? Well, he who gives it, or she who gives it, can also taketh away. That's a regulatory authority. The VQA was set up a number of years ago as an AA, administrative authority. And they ensure that certain things are met and followed. And That's right. So when you get the CMRAO, it's a more traditional, classic AA, because what can it do? Grant licenses and take away licenses and discipline managers. The CAO... Although it is an AA, sorry for all these acronyms, we joke AA say, is an, an administrative authority. Okay. And we also jokingly, with all these new acronyms coming along, we call it the Klingon language that's out there in our industry <laughs> today. But AA Kabrach. is a, okay. exactly is an administrative authority, and they're the two. But the CAO, Condominium Authority of Ontario, does not license anybody, does not have an ethics or discipline committee. It has what we've been talking about, this educational information, literature, help. We have a call center. We have a public registry and the tribunal. So what is your $1 paying, $1 per month? It's paying for all this help to the industry. It's free. Anybody can go on and get it. And it pays for the tribunal. And so in a nutshell, what does the CAO do? In a nutshell. In a nutshell. It has two, well, it has several components that we talk about, but I break it usually down into two. One is education, information, facilitation to the whole condo industry. That's the things we've been talking about. We're doing a booklet for people buying condos. We're doing a booklet for tenants. What, is a tenant, what does it mean to be a tenant in a condo? Other booklets. There's is it the same as being a tenant in, a, in a, an apartment? No. It's yes and no, another good lawyer answer. Because what tenants forget is that yes, vis-a-vis their landlord, meaning the unit owner, they have all the landlord-tenant protection and rights of anybody else in an apartment. But they also have to obey the deck bylaws and rules of the condo corporation. And the classic example is dogs, pets. If you have a lease that says no pets, I don't do landlord-tenant law, but my understanding is the law says that's invalid. You cannot prohibit pets. But a condo corporation in their deck or rules can prohibit pets, and it overrides, it is paramount over the landlord-tenant law. So there's, there's, there's a yin and yang. There's this, there's this. Now, just a, a quick note. So tenants that are listening to us, and we hope you're listening to us as well. Uh, Tenants from time to time get, I guess, a little confused with uh, management companies or property managers because the tenants bring their problems inherently to the property manager. Should they be bringing it to the unit owner and the unit owner bring it to the... By, I, I believe, if not, and I may stand corrected here, that our responsibility as property managers is to the unit owners, not specifically to the tenants. Again, this is probably the fourth time, and your listeners are going to hate lawyers, but the answer is yes and no again. And the reason I say that is, you're right, your duty as managers, your duty is to the corporation and to the owners. That's your fundamental duty. Yes. But you're running a building. You're running 
places where people live and tenants are residents. So there is there is nothing wrong with a resident coming down with management about questions like when is the pool open or I've lost my key, how do I get another key? So not every issue that a tenant has goes directly to their landlord and then the landlord has to come to management. So that's why I say it's a bit of both. But fundamentally, you're right. You do not owe your duty to the tenant. You owe your duty to the corporation and the owners. But that doesn't mean you don't work with tenants and help tenants. Of course, and do all any that. good management company Correct. will understand that. Um, now, from and I've just got this in front of me, uh, just to summarize again what the CAO is about. And I'm, I'm going to just read it right off the website here. Uh, and if anyone is looking for the website, it is www condoauthorityontario.ca it's spelled out as uh, in words condo authority ontario otherwise you're going to get to the um, what did we say it was before the uh, oh. uh, it had something to do with uh, osteopathy oh, yes. so we're not going to get to canadian the, association, the association of, of osteopathy yeah you don't want to go unless there. you have those issues go right and ahead and the cao tried to get cao and we couldn't the name was already gone. The osteopaths it, were quicker. They, they were right? quick. Okay. They were quick. Um, so the organization aims to improve condominium living by providing services and resources for condo owners. These include, and uh, we've touched on all these, easy to use information to help owners and residents understand their rights and responsibilities. Mandatory training for condominium directors, which we're going to touch on. Mm -hmm. Resources to help condo owners and residents resolve common issues. And more importantly, that gave life to the CAT, an online dispute resolution service throughout, the throughout using the Condominium Authority Tribunal. So let's just jump back quickly to mandatory training for mm -hmm. condo directors. Because we talked about the issues that gave rise to the birth of the CAO. And you did point out that not only was there fraudulent acts and issues that were created by management, but as well as directors doing not necessarily just illegal things, but things that were wrong, unknowingly, negligently, or ignorantly. Absolutely right. So what is this, this training and, and, and how encompassing is it for the directors? Because it is a volunteer free position. And that's what people have to remember. They don't, do not get paid to be a director unless you pass a bylaw. And there are times, but it's very rare. I've been at this 27 years and I can count on one hand the number of clients that would have a bylaw that allows it a tiny amount of money to the director. Well, so it's unpaid and volunteer. Let's go back position. just quickly about a director. So a director, just for new listeners who haven't caught up to speed on some of the other uh, episodes, a director is like in a corporation, one of the people that is elected by the owners to help run the business that is the condominium. They must run it. What the Condo Act says is that the corporation has a duty to operate and maintain the building, the common elements. But who does it? Condo Act specifically says your corporation must be run by a board of directors. The board of directors can delegate some of their jobs to the management, and that's, of course, what happens. But who, where does the buck stop? There has to be a board of directors, and the board of directors must run the corporation. Do they have accountability? They have incredible accountability. To, to what extent? Well, when you look at what the duty of a director is, it's very clearly spelled out in the Condo Act and also in law. They have to act honestly, in good faith, 
with a fiduciary duty and in the best interest of the corporation. So they have to put personal biases, personal issues aside, no conflict of interest. They have to run the corporation in the best interest of everybody. And that is there. And okay, if they so don't... Let's, now let, that, that describes what their responsibility are. But I haven't heard a word yet about what is their accountability. Where wh What happens if they don't do that? Well, if they don't is called lawsuits right now. Eventually... If the government does pass the further regulations, eventually issues with directors and the way they're governing, meaning basically doing things improperly, will go to the tribunal. But it cannot now. Already I know they're having requests. A lot of people in Ontario think the tribunal can already deal with directors that are not acting properly, but the tribunal does not yet have the jurisdiction for that. But that's ultimately the test. If you, an owner, think that your board has done something wrong, or an individual director, they have rights against that board and against that director. Is there like a 1-800-TIPS line? Unfortunately not. And a lot of people wish there was, because I got to say, in all my years, 99.9% .9 of boards do their very darndest. They work Ab hard and they do it. Absolutely. But absolutely, there's some bad boards out there, and certainly some bad directors that have done some very bad things. So, yes, you can sue them. They can be, remember how it's based on directors are individuals they know the courts the government knows they're going to make mistakes they just want you to walk, act honestly and in good faith right. but you could screw up you can make mistakes there are hold harmless clauses hold there, harmless it, clauses they uh, all have dno dno right. dno for your listeners director and officer liability insurance. insurance why is that there everybody knows everybody in this world at some point makes a mistake now we're not talking intentional we're not talking bad faith we're talking about I goofed. Right. I messed up. But more and more I'm finding and I'm hearing that the courts are piercing the corporate veil as, the, as defined by directors and officers' liability insurance. Uh, it's, are you finding that? Particular? Not as much. No, not yet in the condo industry. For the listeners, the corporate veil, companies are incorporated to give shareholders and directors a shield. That's why they call it a veil. So you can't sue them if they're doing their job. And for shareholders, you can't sue them at all because they're just shareholders. In certain circumstances, the courts have said, let's pierce this protection and you can go after the director's person. Personally, yes. Personally, yeah. and that's what you do. Well, so with condos, you can still go after the director's person. Difficult, because you have to show, well, first of all, if it's negligence, they make a bad decision. It's just, assuming you can even prove the negligence, they, that's when the director's and officer's insurance, DNO insurance, would click in. Right. Insurance is for stupidity. Right. It's for negligence. Now, if you get somebody who's doing something dishonestly, bad faith, fraudulently, fraudulently, sure. and if you can prove it, they have no insurance protection. That means all their personal assets are at risk, and darn right, you can go after them personally. And there have been some lawsuits. What I get a little annoyed at in the industry, though, to the a lot of owners feel, the moment my board has made a mistake, somebody's liable, and I'm suing them personally. And I can tell you, if there was anything done wrong, 90% of the time, it's just an innocent mistake. Right. The other thing directors should know and, and listeners should know too is the government recognized, we're talking many, many years ago, that they're unpaid volunteers. So they've built some additional protections for the directors from liability. And it's this one. If the directors rely on a written opinion from a certain number of professionals, that's engineer, lawyers, an auditor, and they're looking to expand that. And if they rely on that opinion and they've given the lawyer all the facts and didn't get a biased comment, 
that protects them and they can't be sued because they relied on professional advice. So that's it's the not of just that they go and solicit professional advice. And let's say they, they make a decision on their own. Well, yes, the engineer says do this, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's right. They have to rely on the engineer's device to kick in that protection. And if they don't, that's when you start getting into bad faith. And I've seen that. I've seen them say, the other thing I see is that I give them an opinion. You can't do that. So they look for another lawyer and hopefully shop around until they find a lawyer that says you can do it. If that ever was proven, that's bad faith. Right. So... So, we've, so now there's mandatory education. So, Let's so, talk about that. Yeah. So what the government and all the stakeholders were saying, going back to the lack of knowledge of what of condos, there's a lot of good directors, but there's so many that get on the board that A, have never been on a board and B, never been on a condo board. And I teach a course, one of the level courses at CCI Toronto, Canadian Condominium Institute. And we are always astounded at the, they're caring, hardworking individuals, but they don't understand it. They don't know what their duties are. They don't understand the Condo Act that we touched on, decks, how to run a corporation, and their duties and obligations. So the, that got through to the government. And a lot of stakeholders said, we need our directors, the bar to be raised for directors. Not so, a lot. So does that mean the CCI course is not there anymore? No, nope. CCI still has tremendous courses, okay. and it's additional. It's like ACMO. Right. ACMO with their RCM, the Registered Condominium for the Management, right. for the managers. Now there's licensing with courses. Through ACMO. Through ACMO. Yeah. But what about the RCM? Well, it's still a lot of value to it. It's Tremendous. additional education. Well, CCI, the mandatory course for directors under the CAO is what we call introductory. It's basic to teach somebody what is a condo, what is a declaration, what is repair and maintenance, now, what do, is management. Do, do new directors have to go to a classroom? So that's an interesting part. First of all, it's mandatory for anybody elected, re-elected. Since, since? Well, that's what I'm going to say. So elected, re-elected, or appointed after November 1st, 2017. So if you're a sitting director and you were elected before November 1st, you don't have to take the courses until your term is up and you get reelected. Most are doing it because here's why. It's free and there's no exam. It's all online. So you get in a password, an encrypted password, you a director. Actually, anybody can take the course. You just don't have to be a director. Correct. You can take it. You can get your password. It takes about, depending on how fast you want to do it and if you want audio with it, it's three to six hours. Broken down into 21 modules. And if anybody's done their outboard motor license for Service Ontario. Here comes back to the boating, eh? There it is, always, always a boating. Back to the boating. Okay. I got to get sailboating then. I shouldn't have said powerboat. <laughs> but they, there, it's, what you do is you do a module and you have, there's multiple choice questions, but you don't fail the exam. You keep trying until you get the right answer, then you move on so to that, the next So module. you get that knowledge in the coconut. And that's what you're doing. So what am I doing with my clients? A lot of them, directors who are sitting directors, they don't have to do it, want to take it and are taking it. They sit at a boardroom before their board meeting. Let's say they do uh, two modules. It takes 12 minutes, and everybody learns something. But for those that were elected, they have six months from the date they were elected, and the CAO will send you a reminder. Hey, you haven't done your courses yet. You better hurry up. Or, you, or what happens? By law, you cease to be a director. So if you're elected by the right. owners, and you don't finish your courses, you are no longer a director, and that does not mean temporarily not a director till you finish. It means you are not a director. You, 
you have to go through the election process again. Or appointed or by appointed the board. appointed by right. the board again. There's a vacancy, and, and you right. can be appointed by the board. Wow. So, uh, and, and just going to touch on directors, to directors' qualifications, right? So that's one of the major qualifications of being a director is to the completion of that mandatory. And again, the word is mandatory education. Right. But up until this reform, anybody could have been a director. Correct. Depending on whether there was a d director qualification by law in place or not. Not everybody, as long as you were over eighteen. Over eighteen, not bankrupt, mind. and of sound mind. Right. So uh, the local, the, the the TTC bus driver who goes by the building every day, he could have been a director. Could have been a director, as I say to people, unless you have a bylaw that adds additional qualifications. I could be a director on every single condo corporation in Ontario if it was just the statutory requirement: over eighteen, mentally sound, and not bankrupt. Well, we'll question I the know. middle one there for you. Practicing too long. <laughs> So yes, so anybody could. And so this became one criteria, and then there's a second criteria that they've now introduced called the disclosure. Maybe you can touch on that. And the disclosure is brand new. And what it is is people were saying, we don't understand our candidates when they're running to be elected, or a sitting board. They're already elected. So the government said, we are going to mandate about eight pieces of information that if you want to run for the board, you must have submitted this disclosure statement or orally do it if you're nominated from the floor at the meeting. And it's things like, are you an owner or not? Are you in litigation with the corporation or not? Are, do you live in the unit or not? And there's about eight well, questions. We, we saw some things in the media just recently. Uh, we had three gentlemen who, well, I don't want to use the word gentlemen, that's a little too nice for them, that found themselves on directors on six or seven different condominiums. That's right. And they were steering the decisions of the boards towards contractors where they were receiving, as my dad would have said in the day, payola. <laughs> well, as a lawyer, I must say it's alleged that they did that. But oh. yes, that is the allegation. And they're now off a lot of the boards. And that was uh, part of it. It's very serious. But the thing to remember is that the disclosure is not a requirement to be a candidate. Uh, sorry, it's a requirement to be a candidate. But... If it's only if you do it or not. The fact of you disclosing there, I'm not an owner, or if you disclose, yes, I'm in litigation. Oh, the other one is, are you are you in arrears of paying your monthly common element fees? It does not prohibit you from running for the board. It's designed to be disclosure to the voters, so you have an informed voter to decide. So as the way I explain it, if Armand Coney gets up and said, yeah, you know, vote for me. I'm great. I'm a condo lawyer. I know this stuff. I'll be a great director. Hey, but by the way, I'm suing you, and I don't pay my monthly fees, and I'm not an owner. The voters know. And if they still want to elect me, God bless them. But at least it's been full disclosure before they cast their ballot. So now, just quickly, we want to summarize the CAO. One major aspect, education for directors, we've talked about. Quickly, if we could go over registry of condos because we didn't really talk nope. about that we talked about all the other wonderful aspects of education and everything else but you briefly mentioned there's a registry that's available to anyone of the directors and the corporations Correct. so what they've also added as a requirement is every single condo corporation in ontario must be registered with the cao and then file an annual return which means updating their information and if there's no, a not, it's not a tax return no that's just information. A, an information um, page form. Yes. Yeah. Think of it as anybody out there who's got an Ontario company, 
they have to file documents with the Ontario government about who are the directors, what's their address, who are the officers. It's that kind of information. So the first thing was everybody must be registered and supply certain information. Everybody meaning owners. No, condo corporations. Every corporation. Every corporation. Not owners. Not owners. So there eventually will be roughly 11,000 corporations registered in Ontario. And this does not matter whether you're self-managed, professionally managed, you must be registered. And then you have to file an annual return. What last thing on that before the registry is if you have a change, what happens if you have an election halfway through the year or a director quits and you appoint somebody? Then the corporation must file, just like a regular Ontario company would have to do, has to file a notice of change. So why? It all leads to the registry you talked about. And that's the NOIC, isn't it? And the no, no, that's different. Sorry. Yeah, you've got the PIC, the PIC, right. the ICU, there you information go. Certificate, certificate update, which is sent to the owners. Right. Then the NOIC is a new owner information, information certificate. certificate. And then on top of that, there's a notice of change that will have to go to the CAO. Right. So now, what does it all lead to? Why are we saying all this for the registry? For the first time in the history of Ontario, there's now going to be a data bank of every condo in Ontario once it's fully done. Up until now, when we used to go to the ministry and say, hey, do you know how many condos in Ontario? and Where are they located? Where are they concentrated? They say, we don't have a clue. You'd have to go to every registry office and figure it out. Land titles you, or reg- yeah. Land titles office. You could buy it through Terranet or MPAC for anybody who's had their property assessment for their home. It, it's from a company called MPAC, mm-hmm. and they have that data. But it's expensive. Right. So finally, there's going to be this registry that is free, and it will only have general information, no private information like of the directors of their email or phone numbers. None of that but will their be names there. will be But there. their names will be there, officers, management. So uh, if you're thinking of going on a board, everybody in Ontario will have access to the information that you are on the board of directors of that particular condo corporation. And that's the same if you're a regular company in Ontario. You would have to file that information, and it's open to the public. Excellent. And uh, another part, quickly, of the CAO is, I guess this falls under... I don't know if this falls under the CAT or not, but records disputes. Like you said earlier, now we have clarity as to what is a core record or a record of the corporation. And we all have, we know that there are always people who, do they know if the owners have access? Because they want to see. They believe there's monkey business going on or something, so they want to check it. Or they're just nosy, mm-hmm. Right. So now they have access to that, yes? Well, they always had access, theoretically, under the present act or the act. But that's been the problem. The nub is in the word theoretically. Because the Condo Act under Section 55, under Section 55, talks about you have the right to records, meaning you, an owner, have the right to records, and mortgagees and purchasers have the right to records with certain exceptions. You can't see private information about somebody's unit. But you can see purchase orders, canceled checks, invoices, contracts, general ones you can. But that's been there all along. The fights have been you've got a bad owner with a good board, and there are cases where somebody is asked for, as an example, every single utility bill for 38 years, every board resolution dealing with paying that bill and every canceled check. Really silly kind of demands, but the, that's a the, true case. The ultimate condo commander. Condo commando, that's right. Commando, sorry. 
And absolutely right. But the flip is where really the impetus was. You've got good owners and a bad board. You've got a board that doesn't like Armin Conan. So Armin comes in and said, look, I'd like to see the the board's minutes from January of last year, the public part, not the in-camera part. I'm entitled to it. Always have been. And the board says, we don't like Armin, so don't give it to him. Just say no. What was my remedy? Compulsory med arb. We're going to court. So that got to the government. People were saying, again, remember you're talking the vocal minority. And then they'd usually have to hire a lawyer to get And usually that. hire a lawyer, and both lawyers fight it out. There was no obligation and to say why we're saying thousands of dollars. Thousands of yes. dollars. And funny enough, unfortunately, sad, the most number of disputes in condos is over records. And that's why I guess the tribunal is seeing predominantly only right now records. O- only records for two reasons. For A, it's the single number, number, most number of disputes. The second one is the tribunal is totally online. There's no hearing room. There's no courtroom. You can't go and sit at a desk and have a judge sitting there and plead your case. The concept was to be cheaper, faster, and better, but with good justice and fair justice. So the CAO worked with, uh, with the University of Montreal with a program called Cyber Justice, and it, it's being used in other jurisdictions for consumer disputes, not condos. They got a lot of, if I remember correctly, when this was coming out, there was a lot of uh, modeling of programs that were in BC. They studied them. We like to think we're better than BC. Oh, we always are. We always are. And But it has been, BC has one, uh, not as extensive as ours, but they also do it for regular landlord, tenant, and condo. Right. In ours, we looked at this and we said, let's have it as cheaper, faster, better. It's online. But because it's online, what's hard to do? Credibility, cross-examination. So we wanted to pick, or not we, the government wanted to pick a topic that would have a minimal amount of the classic court fighting. You know, where were you on on June 22nd? And I put it to you that you're lying. Well, records disputes, you don't need that. Is it a record or not? Is there a reason why it cannot be given to you? Yes or no? It's real simple. Very simple. And that's why it's the first. Yep. And that's the first one and why they've done it. And what's coming down the pike? What's next? That's the $1,000 question. Uh, We don't know. We, the CAO, have been... Now, that's a quick touch. When we say we, the CAO, you're on the board of directors of the CAO. We didn't allude to that at all. Sorry, we we didn't recognize you for that. We got a lot about your boat, but nothing about the CAO. So just quickly, from uh, really being one of the nurturing agents of bringing this organization into existence, we could call you the dad of the CAO. At least you didn't say grandfather. Uh, I, did, I, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, but you're on the board, so just quickly describe what you do, who you are, and what you are yep. on the board. Well, I started off with the advisory committee group to set it up. It was created in 2016, but only became an AA in September of 17. And the board now is going to be up to seven directors, but we spent the last two years trying to get it organized. Anybody who's trying to set up any business will know you have to have policies and procedures and bylaws and uh, employment agreements and what's our mandate, drafting our, our marketing literature. So that's what we've been doing. We call it a startup phase and we're working towards steady state, like helping to get the tribunal going, picking uh, the chair of the tribunal, picking the CAO or CEO of our organization. Right. So we've been huge amount of time, very gratifying, uh, and now we're up to a stage where we're just about at steady state, meaning like any other organization running 
running smoothly. And are you are you um, the chairman of the board, or are you? No, I'm the treasurer and secretary. Okay. Oh, okay, great. So yeah. uh, the bean counter. The bean counter and the, the real man who runs the organization. <laughs> I hope the chairman is not listening, but of course. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, thank you. So now we know who who and what we're dealing with here. So we're we're, we're predominantly getting it from the horse's mouth. Well, I had a lot to do with it and I'm proud to be part of it because it is, I, I will say this, and it's not that I'm biased because I'm on the board. It's a wonderful organization and everybody should look at it. I think we got some agreement from above because I don't know if you're hearing some noise in the background, but uh, our new studio, uh, because we're surrounded by glass, uh, we have, uh, we're hearing a little bit of some thunder and lightning happening outside. I like to think it was somebody upstairs agreeing with me. I thought that's what it was. Yeah, okay. Um, just to touch back on something, you said that each corporation has to file an annual return, not a tax return, but a return of their information to the CAO. That is To correct. the registry. Correct. When do they have to do that? Well, they have to do it once a year, the annual return, and it's based on the CAO's fiscal year, which is March 31st. So it's not your corporation's fiscal year because corporations are all different. So you, is there a deadline within there? Is a month period? It's an annual thing? It, uh, or ha, have they come to a... There, there a, is a time. I, I can't remember right now. I believe you have to just file it within a certain number of days of the fiscal year end. I don't know the exact number of days. Uh, I will ask Nicholas, who's been uh, uh, sitting wonderfully by doing all the engineering this time and, and sending me cute, lovely little texts uh, about uh, some of the questions he has. Here's a very important question that Nicholas has put right away. He goes, um, what's the name of your boat? For anybody who likes a single malt, it's Scotch Mist. Oh, my God. Well, we'll have to spend some time on your boat. That's right. Um, so we pretty much wrapped up CAO. Except, let me just explain briefly the tribunal. Because the, okay. the tribunal is important because that's where it is hoped that there'll be less people in it, which is turning out the case. But it's designed to try to allow individuals to do it, and if we can, not lawyers. We're trying to reduce the cost. Now, we know corporations was, might still well, use There's the a way. word you said we didn't even touch on. The cost. There's a cost of going to the tribunal. Absolutely. What is it? It is. It's three stages. The tribunal is made up of three stages. Once you get a formal complaint in, it's the first stage is $25. Let's walk through the process. Okay. So I have a complaint. My my uh, records only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My 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 board. Uh, I want to see the minutes because we have an issue with uh, I don't know. Uh, when they installed a big air conditioning unit, and it's a it's it's a horrible uh, eyesight from the road. It looks terrible, and um, I think they botched that whole thing up. And I want to know what we can do about it, and who who they the, who were the people that that did that. They won't give me the minutes. I want the minutes going back five years to determine what the heck happened there. And that you should you are entitled to. And so if you follow. The process, and the reason I say that is one of the reforms to the Act is a brand new process for requesting records. Not the tribunal yet. We're way before the right. tribunal. I just want to see if the board voted on it and, and, and if they did it properly. And you should, and, and you're entitled to know that. And that's where sometimes you get bad boards who say, we don't want to tell anybody, so say no. So the first thing the government did, that clarity and certainty, was to have a written process. Because before, what would happen? You would ask for those records. I don't like you. I, the board, don't like you. I get the lawyer to write a letter saying, no, 
Well, why? Why aren't you giving it to me? We don't have to tell you. Nothing in the act tells me to tell you. So that was the frustration of many owners out there. Many is the wrong word because most boards do give the documents. Everything's proper. So they brought in a process, number one. I won't go through it, but it's a whole request process. There's a fee that can be charged because think of the, the condo commando who wants to see boxes of documents going back 12 years. Somebody's got to find them. It takes now, a lot of time. We use the term condo commando, just uh, it's kind of a little industry catchphrase that, that really it, it labels someone who uh, creates requests vexatiously. Right. We are not for a moment suggesting owners and general requests are condo commandos. It is, you're right, in our industry, we know in every building there's one or two people that go way beyond the pale, are badgering the board, badgering management, acting improperly. They, we, nick, we nickname them the condo commandos. Correct. But, but, it's human nature. Right. And, 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 they, uh, and I, a lot of decisions that have come down uh, by the courts, specifically earmark is their request and they use the legal term vexatious correct and that means that they're doing it uh, not for the cause of garnering information but to be a pain in the butt yeah they have it in for one board member and they will do anything they can to try to embarrass the board and try to find something about the board yep absolutely so if they follow the process and at the end of the day they're not satisfied usually the owner Either the board still says no and why now, they have to give a reason, then they now have a process through the tribunal. Step number one, you send in, you, you the owner. It can be a corporation against an owner, but typically it, right now it's the owner against the corporation. You write the CAO to the CAT, the C-A-T, the tribunal. You email them. Let's go through the process. Yep, it's online. So there's an, you go to the website, there's an online, online. Form, form, application form. Form. Okay. And you fill it out, send in your information. The first thing that happens is that the registrar looks at it, chairman of the board, or sorry, not chairman of the board, chairman of the tribunal. And I want to emphasize one thing too. Even though I'm on the board of the CAO and the tribunal is part of the CAO. You have nothing to do with no, it. I, we don't even know the claims. We're not allowed to see the claims. Right. We have no access to information, no access to computers. Even though it's under one big umbrella of a physical spot, we have no clue and we're not allowed to have any right. clue. So the tribunal is, in essence, a sub-separate entity. Absolutely right. Okay. So now you come in, you're unhappy. You yes, didn't get your I, I want to know that big air conditioning unit so, on that on the and I And I'm the board and I refuse to give you the minutes so right. you can't see I it. Want, I want the bloody minutes, guys. So you fill out the forms, you fill out the application. The registrar will first of all determine, is it a valid request? Because what your listeners may not know is that the tribunal is only there for records. A lot of what's coming in is, my board made a bad decision. How do I punish the board? Or I want to fix the swimming pool. I want to get rid of a director. I want to get rid of a director. Uh, it can be a whole number. They think the tribunal at this point is there for all issues. It's not. Right. So the registrar, first of all, looks at it and says, okay, it is or is not. Okay, it is records. It is access to records. They follow the process. Then there's a formal complaint or claim. $25 at that stage. You so, go to so stage So I would one. get an email back saying, yes, you have a valid claim. Not a valid claim, or at least it, it falls within the jurisdiction of the tribunal. Okay, so it falls within the parameters of what we can deal with Correct. here. Send us 25 bucks. 25 bucks, and then what happens? Can we pay by PayPal? I don't think yet they have it. That's so a good question. Probably credit card. Uh, right now, it's either credit card or check. Well, you actually have to mail in. Snail mail a check in. You might have to at this stage because the CAO wanted to do credit cards for the annual fee. Mm -hmm. 
And as we found out that most management companies and boards deal with written checks. So in any event, you pay the $25. Right. Stage one, I call it door number one. You go in and it's called assisted negotiation. There's no third party. It's you, the person, with these documents. They then contact. I go in where? You said I go online. in. Online. In is online. Everything's online. There's okay. no There's no place to go to. This right. is all online. Right. So I, that's, I call it in when I mean in the process. So then the CAT Remember, not the CAO, the CAT will then notify the condo corp and there is dialogue between you and the condo corp. There's no third party mediator or anybody at this point. Who am I talking to at the condo corp? Whoever the authorized representative is. It could be the manager. It could be a director. It could be a paralegal. could even be a lawyer, although that's rare. Then you see if you can resolve it. Let's say you can't. Often they do. There have been several that have gone through that's, that are resolved at so that point. So is this um, via chat, via e- Skype, via, uh, it's an email conversation? Right now it's an email conversation. They are, they're not asking for face-to-face even by Skype because th- some of these things can be passionate. So you want it as dispassionate as possible on records. Okay. Now you don't get resolved. It can't be resolved, and you still want those minutes because of the air conditioner. You right. go through door number two. So there's a, there's an email that says, I I, I, say, I really want it because I want to know this information, and the design representative of the corporation says, no, you're not going to get it because we just don't want to give them to you. Right. They would never say that last part. Right. For they could be well, fined at the end, but yes, they would say no. Okay, so they want to so say, we don't want to give it to you for such privacy reasons. Whatever you exactly. Whatever, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um. And it goes back and forth a couple of times. When when does that back and forth stop? Who stops it? Either party at any time. Right. But we're, typically, it will be the complainant will say, I, I am not satisfied. We're not, yeah, we're not getting anywhere with this. It could be really short. If, this if sucks. You, one it, email. It sucks. It could be one email back saying, we told you four times you're not getting the documents. Go away. Right. Now, nobody would write like that, but they're right, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Then you go door number two. Door number two, you pay $50. Okay, double the cost. Double the cost. But now you have a professional trained mediator steps in with Condo Corp on one side, you on the other with a trained mediator in the middle. So all emails go to the mediator or the mediator has max. So everybody's CC'd. Everybody, and and they could have, uh, at that stage, there's still no Skype that I understand, but they will be back and forth with timelines. So you would put in your request. The mediator would contact or deal with the board. Don't forget the board or the condo corp is already... even set up some sort already, of an appointment. Exactly. Yeah, right. And all online, but they start this dialogue with timeframes. You must respond, and the mediator tries to see if you can resolve it. Right. Do you understand, board, that it's a core record or it's a minutes? We're not talking in camera. Um, minutes are supposed to be given. Remember, the mediator doesn't make a decision. It just helps, like any mediator, to find a solution. Maybe he can see something that somebody, whether he can see that the complainant is a little skewed or not or confused on a particular issue or requirement or the corporation's uh, representative doesn't quite understand what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. Then you try that. Still don't reach a solution. The mediator then tries to help the process. How can we go from here? Door number three. Door number three is $125. Oh, so the total cost from start to finish is $200, which by Ontario standards with the right tribunals is dirt cheap. Right. You go to Australia for their online. That's half an hour of a lawyer's time. The, yeah, that is, yes. 
And, but what they charge down there is like 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks. Oh, wow. To go through the tribunal. So ours is, the idea was not to make it a barrier for people. So door number three, though, what's door number three? Door number three is a trained adjudicator. Is that Some, like an arbitrator? Yeah, a decider of fact. A decider. Think of that. Think of it as a judge, a kind of like a judge. Right. And this is where there'll be, there could be legal arguments, there'll be position, but again, online. You're not sitting in a room like a courtroom. Online. You could be in your living room in your underwear. That's right. Yeah. Yes. I would be a scary thought, but yes, you could be. <laughs> and no Skype, thank goodness. So, but then you have somebody who makes a final binding decision. And that's when it will finally be determined. Yes, turn over the records. I order that you must turn over the records. Or so, I order they are not to be turned over. What are the consequences for the person not following the CAT's decision? The um, professional adjudicator. Well, there's even before that, there are ramifications. So if you happen to be one of those bad boys, the vast minority, very small minority, but say you are an egregious bad board that just didn't like you and they kept saying no, no, no. That adjudicator has the rights to assess costs. So if you have a lawyer, it could be legal costs and fines. And the new legislation that is law up to $5,000 fine against a corporation, but it has to be really bad conduct. We're talking egregious, not that they were wrong. You get into an adjudicator, you argue your case, I argue my case, we both think we're right, and a judge or the adjudicator says, I agree with you and not with Armin. That's not egregious. Right. It's where it's shown that you've treated me badly, you've purposely said no when you knew all along. Like, if you can prove that, up to $5,000 $5, payable to the complainant, the owner. So, Her. and I would assume that two hundred dollars for the process is also payable, right? Well, <clears throat> because if I'm correct. right to begin with, yes, you're taking me through this process, and it, you're it's costing me two hundred bucks to get what I should have gotten free in the first place. Precisely, right. absolutely right. So that's the tribunal. Then, if how do you ask me if it's being enforced? A decision of a adjudicator is yeah. enforceable by the courts. So if you thumb your nose at it. There will be a court order enforcing that rule, and then you're in... Who goes to court to enforce that order? Well, it, it, would, it would be the complainant or the CAO? Well, I'm assuming the whoever lost so would not want to. It's the one who won, and the loser is not complying with the order. So normally, in our most situations, let's think it's the corporation. The owner won, the unit owner won, you get your minutes. You're supposed to get your minutes about that air conditioner. Right. But the board still hates you and says... I don't care. Right. Okay. We're going to appeal it. Almost no grounds for an appeal. It's only points of law. So now what happens? You, the owner, will I'm have to- I'm still waiting. It's six months later, yep. and I'm waiting for those Well, it's not six months. This process is much, much faster. That's the whole point. Okay. For, from the but decision was, from the decision until- Oh, enforcement. Okay, enforcement. you're right. Enforcement. Yeah. From I, the, I got my decision. This, yeah. I'm still waiting. One week, two weeks, a month, two months. Nobody sent me the minutes. There would be time frames. Oh, okay. The adjudicator, normally, I, there have been very few decisions. In fact, the first ones are just about to be published. Because one thing your readers or listeners should know, that all decisions will be public. And on the be, website? Uh, they'll be on the web. No, they're going to be putting them with a reporting service called Canli, C-A-N-L-I-I-L-double-I. Yeah, that's where all court decisions are now registered in Ontario. That's good to find. And it's free. Too. You can go online, find it, and you'll be able to find the decisions. So that decision will be public. 
And then if it's enforced, then that board is going to be in big trouble. Now you start to get into, is that the directors? We talked earlier about personal liability. Right. I'd be awfully worried if you've done all that, the adjudicator says you have to produce it, and you still don't do it. I think the board would have to be very careful that they could be exposing themselves to personal liability. Wow. That, 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 I think we've got an insight into the process that not many people even know about. So uh, for our listeners, you've, uh, you've got a, a sneak preview of what's going on. So if these are issues that you're dealing with in your, your own condo, you know, I, uh, I urge you to either consult with uh, Shively Wrighton and Armand, uh, go to the CAO, talk to us or your, or your management company, uh, uh, email us if you have uh, any questions or concerns or comments that you'd like. Uh, we will address them in future episodes. Um, and and uh, what we'll do, if, if you're akin to it, because I know we're running a little bit of short on time and I know you're eager to go on vacation, all right, um, I think we could do a whole episode on the CMRAO. Absolutely. Because uh, this was really, really eye-opening. Uh, I hope you guys out there found this interesting because uh, uh, there's one thing I know, uh, a majority of time in your condo is hopefully very good, but when there's a dispute, whether it's between the corporation or another neighbor or anything like that, the person who has the knowledge, the person who has the awareness of what steps they can take usually wins. So right. uh, uh, I urge you to seek out more information uh, through uh, uh, Armin. And Armin, how can people reach you? They can reach me at uh, Shibley Wrighton is the name of the law firm. My telephone number, 416-214-5207. And my email is aconant, so A-C-O-N-A-N-T, at Shibley Wrighton. S-H-I-B-L-E-Y-R-I-G-H-T-O-N, all one word, shibbywriting.com. And this is really special for uh, any of our uh, unit owners uh, in the Oshawa area. I want to let you know that Armin's a hometown boy. That's right. And if I'm not mistaken, your grandfather, or was it great-grandfather, was the first mayor of Oshawa? Uh, it was, he, would, he wasn't the first, but he was the youngest. He was the youngest. The youngest is my grandfather of, of Oshawa, and our family was one of the three founding families of Oshawa. There we go. So uh, we heard it from not only uh, Mr. CAO, but Mr. Schwa right here. And Mr. We're, Sailor. We're, yes, we're, we're, we're really happy to have you finally show up. Thank you. We, we, I got to tell you, we've been asking Armin to come out for a long time. He is so busy with everything he does. I got to tell you, we are, we are, are, are uh, honored and blessed to have you here. And uh, we cannot wait to book you again. So thank you once again. And uh, for all you guys out there, please don't forget to uh, share and like us and check us out on iTunes and SoundCloud. And where else are we, Nick? Wherever, wherever you are, we will find you. We know where you live, prominently in a condo. Uh, my name is Ari Soroka. It's been my pleasure. And thanks for tuning again into uh, We Speak Condo. episode of We Speak Condo interesting or informative, please subscribe to the podcast by visiting our website, www.citysitesmanagement.com. If you want to have your questions answered, email us. We'll be responding to your love letters or hate mail every week. Thanks for listening.